I am happy to announce that the winner is All About Eve. Parasite. Kramer versus Kramer. Chicago! West Side Show. The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. One flew over the cuckoo's Shakespeare in Love. May I have the envelope, please? It is April 10th, 1972. We're at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion in beautiful downtown Los Angeles. Got Alan King, Sammy Davis Jr., Jack Lemon, and Helen Hayes, four different hosts presiding over the ceremonies. And we've been looking at some of the best movies of 1971. It's time to figure out which one was the best of 1971. The envelope, please. The winner is the French Connection, Philip D'Antonio, producer. Who the fuck? Yeah. I mean, wee wee. Um, <laughs> it is. <laughs> it is. Um, did you get that? Because it was French. I was. I was. That's yes, right, right, French. Right. I know. I'm I, really it was unclear, Sam. Yes. <laughs> um, I am. I. I did not take French, but you know, I just pick up really quickly. So. Um, <laughs> wow. It really. Anyway. Shows. Uh, so smart. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, French Connection really uh, cleaned up this year, so we'll be. Uh, Talking about this, you know, if uh, if they had had somebody to put in Best Actress, they could have done the Grand Slam. They got picture, director, actor, screenplay. Only one short, you know. That's true. Um, However, I I don't think there is a single female in the movie, though. So yeah, no, this is where we're getting into. I, I don't know if you're noticing this, but as as we are moving on, the testosterone is strong with these films. Like there are so many men. I mean, Patton yes. was super masculine. Midnight Cowboy was super masculine. You know, Oliver, for being a musical, really only had one female character of any significance. Oh, papa, oh, papa. Um, you That's know, true. and and um, then uh, we had one nice little female role in In the Heat of the Night, but that was kind of it. You know, mm-hmm. um. And so we had some pretty strong females in A Man for All Seasons, but we had that was I think the last movie that had any sort of strong female character. Right. <laughs> with some with some meat with some meat on it, yeah. Yeah, yeah there, that's there's true. no This is we're definitely getting into the the men's party, that's for sure. Yeah, this is definitely a boys' club. It's interesting because I think a lot of people have realized in, in retrospects that the kind of new Hollywood renaissance was very much a boys' club situation when it came along. And yeah. we are going to have very – and this does not – I mean, like, I don't want to disparage the quality of the films in the way that I'm saying this. But, you know, there is a um, – it, it, it's interesting to think that culturally – while the women's lib movement is beginning, um, and you know Gloria Steinem and whatnot are coming to the fore. Um, meanwhile, the critical, at least the critical film and the studio films that are being put out, are not uh, really putting very much emphasis on the women. It's just an interesting dichotomy, right. um, and I don't know if that's. Uh, some type of unconscious bias or reaction, but it is what it is. It seems like we had much more female-driven drama in the 1940s than we do now. That's very true, yeah. 
That yeah. is true. But we are in a new decade now, again, the 1970s. A couple of firsts here at this particular ceremony. This is the first time during the ceremony as the nominated performers are being announced that we see their image superimposed up on the screen all next to each other. Very similar to what we have today, although today we see a short video clip of their performance usually. Uh, this is just the very beginning step of that. We just see a picture up there, but we're getting closer to the look and feel of our ceremony today. This is also the first uh, time we get a black musician winning in the music category. Isaac Hayes wins for Best Original Song for his theme for the movie Shaft. Uh, very iconic. Yes. Right on. Very iconic theme. And real, real quickly, I just want to say I actually did get to meet Richard Roundtree, who plays Shaft in the movie um, several years ago. I was his talent escort at the TCM Turner Classic Movies Film Festival. And um, he was just lovely. Absolutely lovely guy. Um, I just... I just I don't know why I'm saying that other than to brag about the fact that I met Shaft. I don't know. <laughs> hey, humble brags Shaft. are always important. I love it. <laughs> yes. That is, and that song is in the um, the top 100 AFI song list. So it is sure. a big deal. Definitely. Anyway. Yep. And this is also, yeah, this is also when we get to finally see Charlie Chaplin for the first time in about 20 years after his self-imposed exile after being deported by the House of Un-American Activities Committee uh, back in 1951 for communist suspicions. I just find this so interesting because, Rance, you and I talked a lot about McCarthyism back in all of our 1950s episodes and how much that did to all the actors, writers, and directors who were blacklisted because of it. So, you know, we're still seeing the repercussions of that time period even today 20 years later with actors finally becoming unblacklisted you know we're mm -hmm. still seeing things like that pop up which is crazy you know uh, we kind of have seen over the last decade the slow reintroduction of these people into into the um uh the uh the hollywood playing field uh you know i the first big uh, Stone, I guess, is uh, when Dalton Trumbo is credited with writing the screenplay for Spartacus, and that's in 1960. Mm -hmm. But then, even that, it's still slow going. After that, uh, you know, Lee Grant uh, was exiled essentially and blacklisted for years, and it was really in the heat of the night that broke that for her. And we talked about her a few years ago and that context. But I think that Charlie Chaplin getting this award is like the symbolic way of uh, Hollywood apologizing. You know, I think that right. this is, I think giving him this award is a form of an apology. And uh, in the years to come, uh, we will actually see, um, actually, I believe it is either next year or the next um we will get a movie called The Way We Were, which actually deals with the Hollywood blacklist head on, and it's the first movie to really talk about it. So we are definitely getting to that period where uh, there is a I'm sorry happening. So that, that is, is that is interesting. Yep. Yeah. Very Anywho. interesting. All right, let's get into some snubs for 1971. <laughs> I only have a couple of snubs. Um, you go ahead. They're both in... Okay, they're both in the leading actor category. 
my first snub, which is, I don't know, I don't know if you call this a snub. For me, it's just kind of, I just like this movie a lot, and it holds a lot of memories for me. But it's Gene Wilder in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I just think he does a really good job. And I think, you know, I think I feel like everyone has seen this movie at one point in time in their life as a child. And I think when you... Think about Gene Wilder and all of his roles. This is definitely his most famous role. And he does a lot in this movie. And I just think that warrants at least a conversation about him being included in the leading actor list. And then my second is Malcolm McDowell for Clockwork Orange. Again, for leading actor. And what's so stinking about it? If you want to talk about things an actor has to go through in a movie, my God, it doesn't get a bit, like, any more harrowing than what... Malcolm McDowell is put through for playing Alex. Yeah, I think those are two notable snubs. Um, uh, for sure. I, I think it's interesting to have the conversation about uh, Gene Wilder in particular because uh, that is the type of movie that the Academy is not normally going to consider, you know, um, mm-hmm. because it's uh, it's a kid's film, you know, it's... It's right. a comedy. It's a musical, you know, and those types of performances don't often get nominated no matter how good they are because there is this bias against um comedic I mean like there's a this feeling like oh drama is hotter. Drama's more right. uh, highbrow, you know, and so you often see performances yep. like that kind of get pushed aside. It's interesting that um, Malcolm McDowell wasn't nominated because Clockwork Orange was recognized in lots of other categories, you know, including director and picture. Mm-hmm. So you think that you think that he might have slipped into um, picture or uh, into actor, especially especially since there was all the controversy with George C. Scott last year. It's interesting that they would nominate him again, even though he refused the Oscar the year before. You know, but I guess they, um, I guess they didn't mind. I don't know. Um, but, uh, the other thing about Malcolm McDowell that I wanted to say has absolutely nothing to do with, um, with the movie Clockwork Orange. I just wanted to say, I think Malcolm McDowell, he's a fantastic actor. He's been steadily working for decades. But one thing I think is fun about him is that you can easily connect him to um, somebody who's completely has nothing to do with Malcolm McDowell. Um, they were both married. Uh, Ted Danson and Malcolm McDowell were married to the same woman, Mary Steenburgen, who's an Oscar winner. So I just, I find Hollywood connections like that very, very interesting. <laughs> very interesting. Do you have any snubs? You're welcome. For this year? I do. <laughs> um, oh, yes, I do. Um, in the picture category... Um, you know, the one that we talk about a lot. Um, I am right. utterly perplexed as to why the wonderful um, suspense thriller Clute, which was recognized in Best Actress, is not considered Best Picture worthy because Clute is a fantastic thriller. Um, it is a wonderful drama. It is anchored by an absolutely great performance and great chemistry between Jane Fonda and Donald Sutherland. It has a literate script. It has great cinematography. And it is uh, edge-of-your-seat suspenseful the whole time. The score is absolutely disturbing. And I think it is a really great film. I would include it in Best Picture. Fair enough. 
Okay, I also, love that. Also, I have more. <laughs> I also really, really like Carnal Knowledge, um, which is a very depressing little film um, directed by your favorite, Mike Nichols, um, and have has a great cast, Jack Nicholson, uh, Art Garfunkel, as in Simon and Garfunkel. Um, he bridges into acting. They play two lifelong friends. Jack Nicholson's kind of a horrible guy, a womanizer. Um, he starts, half the movie is about them and Candace Bergen. And then uh, the second half, Anne-Margaret comes into the story. And Anne-Margaret gives an absolutely divine performance. Totally earns her Best Supporting Actress nomination. But I think the script, at the very least, should have been nominated. It is a very literate, wonderful script and um even though it is such a depressing little film you know in a year where things like clockwork orange french connection last picture show are all over the place i think carnal knowledge holds up well with the rest of them so that's my opinion and also Anne margaret's just fantastic in it (laughs) yes she can have as many nominations as she wants (laughs) i really want more for her career i i know (laughs) know, she has two nominations but i think that i think that she's a very daring performer when given the opportunity and i um i i'm kind i think that maybe had she happened a little later or happened a little sooner she probably would have gotten more starring roles in hollywood um you know, but I, I think she makes sense in the 60s as like a 60s, um, you know, teen star, which is how, kind of how she starts and with Elvis and Viva Las Vegas and all that stuff. And it's not like I it's not like she doesn't have a career that you wouldn't have wanted. She ends up having a great success as a Vegas show act. She makes a lot of uh, very um, well-regarded television films and gets an Emmy. But all of that said, I think she could have been a leading more of a leading film actress if she was just placed in a slightly like 10 years earlier or 10 years later Mm. yeah i agree yeah i absolutely adore Anne margaret she's great okay so those are my those are my snubs is there something that you would like to highlight my dear sam is there a spotlight 100 percent yes i am so excited about this spotlight i want to touch on cloris leachman and her Best Supporting Actress win for The Last Ooh. Picture Show. Ooh, is right. Ooh, go ahead. All right, listen up. If you haven't seen The Last Picture Show, first of all, do it. It's so good. It is a coming-of-age drama. It chronicles kind of the interconnecting lives of a group of high school friends and the adults as well that inhabit this very small rural Texas town uh, over the course of the kid's senior year. And what, uh, what I think about this movie, when, when I think about this movie, it really is one of the truly great coming-of-age films. It doesn't shy away from anything. I mean, this openly discusses sex, adultery, abuse, and it's filled with great performances across the board, even from its young cast. Um, we see actors in this movie that we still watch today, people like Jeff Bridges, who delivers his first... Oscar-nominated performance in this film. 
But, as I said, the performer that I really want to touch on here and spotlight is Cloris Leachman. She plays Ruth Popper, uh, who is the wife of this town's um, coach, like football coach. Uh, But it's like a loveless and a very sexless marriage because he's a closeted homosexual. So, she ends up taking up a relationship with one of the high school boys, Sonny. He's kind of the main character of the film. But Sonny drops her as soon as this girl, J.C., who's his longtime high school crush and played by a young Sybil Shepherd, uh, J.C. finally gives him the time of day. So he drops her uh, and kind of leaves her high and dry. But Cloris Leachman's truly great scene is what comes at the very end of the movie, once all this drama has gone down. Because Sonny ends up coming back to her after J.C. and him break things off. It's one of those scenes where, even if this was the only scene that Cloris Leachman had in the movie, she would still win the Oscar because this scene is that good. Um, at first, she's surprised that Sonny is showing up finally on her doorstep again after leaving her with no explanation. And she apologizes to him because she's still in her robe from the morning. She hasn't changed yet. She says, you know, I'm sorry for still being in my robe, but come on in. He, she's, like, making coffee and, like, breakfast for them. But you're seeing her blood start to boil until she finally just explodes on Sonny. She's pissed that she apologized to him yet again when he should be apologizing to her. She blames him for all of her unhappiness and her depression. Why am I always apologizing to you, you little bastard? Three months I've been apologizing to you without you even being here. I haven't done anything wrong. Why can't I quit apologizing? Basically, she finally says what she's been holding back this entire movie. Um, And it's breathtaking to watch. It really is. She lets him just have it. Until, that is, she sees that he is now just as lonely as she has been. So she decides to take him back. And I guess the two of them can suffer together. I don't know. But it's amazing. It's one of my top five supporting actress performances of all time. And yeah, I really can't recommend this movie enough. It's great. And she's such a treat and a joy to watch in the movie. That is what I want to spotlight. Um, I would, I would, I want to piggyback on what you're saying, actually, because I, um, I think a lot of people know Cloris Leachman from her comedic performances because she, she had such a, she had a stellar career. Um, she was, uh, she's one of the top Emmy award winners of all time. I believe she has uh, eight or nine emmys and she won uh for yeah um she won for a lot of different things uh, some people may know her for her role on um uh, mary tyler moore show where she played uh the landlord of of mary tyler moore phyllis um she was spun off onto her own sitcom for a couple years um she also was on a couple seasons of the tv show the facts of life and she um was a cantankerous old lady in a bunch of guest spots and movies uh, throughout the 90s and up until her death just a few uh, weeks ago. Um, But uh, she was probably, I think, best remembered for her roles in Mel Brooks films, um, particularly uh, Young Frankenstein, where she plays Frau Blucher. Uh, yes. Um, <laughs> which, uh, which comes in uh, 1974, and she plays this very uh, ridiculous, almost Mrs. Danvers type character. Um, 
Mrs. Danvers from Rebecca, of course. Um, and uh, she is uh, just absolutely so sublime when she's playing those roles. She plays a send-up of uh, Nurse Ratched in the movie High Anxiety um, in the late 70s. That's really, really funny. Um, and uh, she's always, her timing is so good. But there's this, you know, belief uh, that I think is correct that comedy is harder sometimes in some ways than genre uh than than uh ooh, harder than drama so i meant to say um and i think that she's a person who maybe proves that out because we know her for these comedic roles and then when she gets the opportunity to really deliver in drama something that she's not known to do she not only delivers she excels mm-hmm. um and so yeah she definitely more than earns this oscar She's absolutely fantastic in the film. Um, and I'll have more to say about the last picture show in a second, but I, I do want to agree with you on the fact that Cloris Leachman is divine. I'm so glad you agree. All right. What do you want to spotlight for this year? Um, I don't want, I'm not meaning to sound like a broken record, <laughs> um, but I really, 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 um, okay, I'm gonna before I say what I'm about to say. All right, mm-hmm. um, I'm gonna show that I do know of other movies that came out this year by by just briefly mentioning that the movie Summer of '42, which won Best Original Dramatic Score, has one of the best musical scores I've ever heard in my life. Okay, okay, I completely agree with that. It also briefly includes the movie Now Voyager as part of the plot, which I really appreciate because I love Now Voyager. It takes place in 42. Now Voyager Voyager came out in 1942. It makes total sense. Mm -hmm. It's also a really weird movie because it's about a teenage kid losing his virginity to an older woman. Um, Ah. So, yes. (laughs) So it, it is kind of problematic in some ways, but I do really like the score for the movie. I want to note that out. It's a beautiful score. Um, but once again, I have to spotlight Jane Fonda's performance in Clute is beyond you guys. Like it is one of the great best actress performances. I would put it in my top five wins of all time. It includes a scene toward the end of the film where it is literally a close up of Jane Fonda's face for five minutes where she is having to listen to this audio tape of a graphic horrible thing happening and we just get we see her have to sit there and listen to this and she has to react to it and you go through it with her every single second she abandons all vanity as snot runs down her face and it is just a breathtaking cinematic performance moment throughout the entire film we see her interacting with um, a therapist and uh, it the whole movie is kind of framed around her visits to therapy and the way in which she talks to and opens up with the therapist is so natural and so real for an hour i'm the best actress in the world and the best fuck in the world and you know we saw jane fonda really break out with they shoot horses don't they which is another great movie great performance but I, I think that this moment, her first Oscar win here, is where we get to see her really, really come into her own um, a, as an actress. And, you know, she's known for being a trailblazer as a feminist, as 
a um, as an anti-war um, uh, advocate, as um, a ally with the LGBTQ community, as a um, activist uh, for everything from climate change with her fire drill Fridays to um, you know any uh, type of any issue dealing with equality or peace you know you always see Jane Fonda on the front lines but the thing that I I love about her is that behind her that incredible spirit and heart that she has she's also one of the most talented people to ever work in this industry and she really is so committed to her craft and no matter what you see her doing she just absolutely excels at it and I think Clute is probably the best performance in a career of great performances. Mm. There you go. Yeah, I I can agree with you. I do love Jane Fonda in Clute. I will say Clute is not, in my opinion, a very good movie. <laughs> I think it's one of those cases where it's a great performance captured in a sort of subpar film. But that's okay, you can personally. have your opinion. I love but it. But you are correct. Those... <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, but I will say I will say the moment you highlighted of her listening to the 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 phone, the phone conversation, that is that is cinematically perfect and does clinch her win. So I agree with you as far as that goes. Okay, 5%. fine. We'll get more, you know, this is just the beginning of our Jane Fonda love <laughs> affair. We get more Jane Fonda throughout the 70s. She's like one of the one of the few uh, female stars who consistently gets leading roles throughout the seventies. So we'll get to talk about her more. Yep, that sounds fair. You know what? So let's actually move on to our main event. We're going to talk about our best picture winner, The French Connection. <laughs> Here's a bit of a summary for everybody. This is a real-life story of one of the biggest narcotics busts of all time. Uh, It depicts two New York City cops as they try and bust a wealthy French heroin smuggler. Um, The names in the movie, they've been changed, but these are based on real cops um, uh, trying to bust a real French heroin smuggler, one of the, the biggest ones of all time. So I thought it was kind of cool. This is a real story. Uh, which is important to remember as you're watching mm-hmm. the film, I think. I think you get more out of it knowing that a lot of these things mm-hmm. actually happened because this is a really mm-hmm. heavy movie. Um, it's 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 gritty. It is everything the 1970s that we've been talking about so far with that grit kind of crime um, topics that really get depicted here. Yeah. Uh, for me personally, the way I say about the French Connection is that it wastes, it wastes none of its one hour and forty four minute runtime. It yeah. moves. I mean, this movie just steps on the gas pedal immediately, and it never lets up. Um, and I'll say also one thing that I appreciate about a movie like this is that it doesn't try to paint the cops as the bad guys. And the drug dealers, or excuse me, the cops as the good guys, and then the drug dealers as the bad guys. This isn't like a black and white film like that. This is very much flawed characters across the board. You know, the leading character, Popeye Doyle, played by Gene Hackman, he is a bit of a shit. All right, Popeye's here. Get your hands on your heads. Get off the barn. Get on the wall. Come on, move. I mean, this is a racist cop. He has a temper. 
Um, but ultimately, he does refuse to stop at anything to catch his criminal. But, it, you know, it's his methods about uh, the, how he goes about it, which are incredibly questionable. Um, the only part that I didn't really care about this movie is the handling of the conclusion. And I think this is where we get into the conversation of this is based on real events. So I think for me, it's like I wanted things to end with a, with with it being a bit more conclusive, you know, kind of a bit more of a a resolution at the ending, even though in real life they don't actually catch the Frenchman, so I know they couldn't catch him in the movie. I understand that. But it just seems like this movie just stops, and then it's end credits, movie's over. You know, like they're building, building, building the climax. They bust the drug smugglers. The Frenchman gets away. Boom, end of movie. And I was like, wait a minute, where's our <laughs> where's our falling resolution? There's just, you know, there's just nothing. <laughs> and I just thought that was kind of... I don't know, a bit of a missed opportunity, um, at least from a story and structure standpoint. I think, but, well, this is know. where you and I are going to diverge. Um, I I didn't care that much about the movie until the last, like, minute. <laughs> um, I thought it was mm-hmm. an, a competent film. I was having problems as I was watching it because I, I think particularly in the last year where we've talked so much about, as a culture talked about uh, police violence that I was I, I watch things like this and I I'm looking at it I'm trying to think like are we glorifying police are we um, are we looking at violence and these racist attitudes and these um, the fact that he literally even though this guy hijacked a um, a subway, uh, train. Are we just gonna be okay with the fact that he shoots him in the back when he didn't need to? He could have just disabled him, and they could have taken him in for questioning. <laughs> you know, like, right. are we just going to be okay with all this right. stuff? Yeah. Um. And are we just gonna treat Gene Cackman like he's this good guy we're supposed to be um, rooting on the entire time? And then in the last minute or two of the movie, I got it. And it was whenever spoiler, 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 mm-hmm. Um, Gene Hackman shoots one of his own men, shoots and kills one of his own men. Um, and then there is not a second of mourning before he goes looking in the next room for the Frenchman. Um, and, and then we just hear a shot. The movie ends. We get the little epilogue that tells us what happened to various people. And, for me, it was so powerful because it was at that moment that I realized the movie understood that we should not glorify these people. And the movie is showing in the last second, the entire point of this film is to show it, it, the most important thing that happens is that he shoots one of his own men and doesn't care. Because that shows that Gene Hackman has become yeah. so consumed with his ego with his job that he no longer sees human life as existent and he no longer see his only mission is to go out and kill so for me the structure was done because we watched a person who was already on the edge go fully insane basically and so i think the movie is actually once you see the ending of the film you see the epilogue. You see that even though he killed this guy, he wasn't fired. He just got reassigned to a different yeah. um, division. 
Um, he didn't get fired. He didn't get reprimanded, really, for doing this. Um, you know, he didn't have to stand trial for shooting the wrong guy, you know, or using a gun when he didn't need to. It's just like, oh, well, let's move along. No big deal. Police kill people. This movie was right. was an indictment of police as much as it was narcotics. This was about police brutality. And I... Um, I realized that, or at least that's what I interpreted the film to mean, and it was because of the almost abrupt nature of the movie that that point was able to be driven in for me. Yeah, I... And that changed my entire opinion of the movie. Totally. I see exactly what you're saying. It's almost kind of like we're seeing Gene Hackman's character fall a little bit from grace. I mean, I think Gene Hackman, Popeye Doyle is an asshole at the beginning of the film too and he remains oh, yeah, an he's asshole never, throughout I, until the end you know but but yeah. what i think you're saying is gene hackman is that cop popeye doyle is willing to be just as bad as the bad guys if it means he can catch the killer which is what you're talking about with police brutality you know should cops should cops, you know, be allowed to do whatever they want if it means they can actually get the the criminals off the street? Or do we hold them accountable for, you know, when they break the law, too? Even if it's for what they deem to be a good reason, mm-hmm. you know, we still need to hold these people accountable. Right. And I think right. that's kind of where he's going here is Gene Hackman does f- finally fall so far off the side that it becomes impossible to kind of tell who is the good guy and who is the bad guy now. And by right? the thing is, and I think by ending so abruptly, you force the audience to have to think about the fact like, oh, I was rooting this guy on, you know? Right. I was rooting this asshole on the entire film. Mm-hmm. And he, he just, and he has no respect for human life at all. <laughs> Right. You know, no, absolutely, and yeah. so that's that's why I think it's effective. I get your point. I do. Um, I it's just I I think I I think I like it, but that doesn't necessarily. No, you know, and mean... after I heard you explain that, no, after you explain that, I kind of see I see what you're saying now. You're mm-hmm. right, and I think for me, yeah, I guess I kind of I don't know. I guess I respond more to traditional storytelling. I mean, most um, of us do. I think, but know? this isn't. Right, but this isn't traditional storytelling. I mean, this is almost kind of documentary style. Like, you know, it has a kind of that level of, like, grit to it to where these really do feel like you're watching, like, you know, like a, like a Netflix true crime docuseries, right, about Popeye Doyle. Did you, and uh, that is how it would end. Did you see the, um, did you see the, uh, uh, the apparently um, uh, William Friedkin um, asked, uh, I believe it was uh, Howard Hawks, whether or not Howard Hawks thought any of the movies that Friedkin had made to that point were any good. And Hawks said he, he didn't, and he should make a movie that's um, with a good chase scene. And so he built <laughs> the French connection around the famous uh, car chase where um, uh, Gene Hackman's chasing the, um, the runaway sub or runaway train, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, underneath the tracks uh which of course is you know the most famous scene in the film uh and it is a great yeah, it I is a that. great chase sequence i just realized is, that this you know? is uh 
we're we're highlighting a year that's exactly 50 years ago. Just thought about that. Oh wow! Wow! Yeah, did you? 1971. Yeah, we are. This is the 50th. Yeah. Wow! <laughs> Isn't that? That's kind of I hadn't fun. thought about that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow! Wow! wow. Yeah! 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 Um, this is what movies were like I, 50 years ago. I love that. There you go. <laughs> this is an interesting... And, you know, you just drew that comparison to Netflix and, you know, the true crime documentaries we walk, watch all the time. I think yeah. we're... Interestingly, I will say this collection of films uh, tonally doesn't feel that far off from things that right. we would find today, you know? Um, but I, I don't think The French Connection's my okay, best picture of the year. Okay, what... What is your best picture of the year? I imagine we'll agree on this. I think okay, it's the thank last God. Show. Thank God. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And I, you talked about it quite eloquently a second ago, but I just want to add here, I, I did not grow up in West Texas, mind you, which is, um, you know, very uh, almost deserty looking, you know, but I did grow up in a very small town in Texas. And... In central Texas, um, where it's a basically farmland all around you. Um, and and maybe you connected to this, too, being from, uh, a, you know, a very um, isolated part of the country, you might, you might say. Um, but I knew every single character in this movie. Yep. Yep. You know? I knew exactly what it feels like to be in a town like that to feel that kind of like hopelessness that you that being a person watching it made me uncomfortable because it just reminded me of that feeling of feeling stifled mm. in a place yeah. like that um you know of thinking like this is all that life is ever going to mm-hmm. be like you, you can't know? escape it um, right and it wasn't the most yeah yeah and it wasn't the most pleasant watch i've ever had but i thought it was a great film because of the way it, it it made me feel the way I think it intended to make me feel. And um, and it captured something about what life is like in places like that that I know from firsthand experience. And um, yeah, I, I, I absolutely love it. It's, um, uh, I, I recommend listening to uh, the recent season of You Must Remember This, where they talk about Polly Platt, who was married to Peter Bogdanovich at the time and uh, worked on the film with him. Um, and they go into a lot of the filming of The Last Picture Show. Very famously, Peter Bogdanovich ends up having an affair with uh, Sybil Shepard um, and gets divorced from Polly Platt. And then he's with Sybil Shepard for a while Interestingly, at this Oscar ceremony, Sybil Shepard is a presenter with uh, Joe Namath for the Best Costume Design Award, and she um, she <laughs> she's kind of she kind of comes off as a little bit uh, um, I, she because the Last Picture Show isn't nominated for co- costume design. She like. Um, she like starts saying the last picture show as a nominee a couple different times and then goes, Oh, excuse me. What? I mean, Mary. <laughs> That's Queen so of ridiculous. <laughs> what? <laughs> I know. Um, it's a very interesting little, uh, interesting little clip. Um, but, uh, but Sybil Shepard, um, uh, 
you know, ends up being in, uh, we'll talk about her again because she's in, she's in Taxi Driver, but she becomes uh, more famous as a TV star whenever she does a TV show called Moonlighting yep. with Bruce Willis, which makes him a star. Um, and then uh, she's on a TV show, uh, she has her own self-titled sitcom called Sybil, which launches the uh, more um, mainstream career of one Miss Christine Baranski. So Sybil Shepherd has a, a tendency to be in uh, projects that launch That's people's great. careers. That's great, yeah. <laughs> in addition yeah. to helping her own. Yep. There you go. And then later she plays, uh, she's on The L Word, and she's oh, coupled up with Jane Lynch. Go. So, yeah, she know. has a long career. But, go. I mean, this movie is chock full know, of know. actors who had humongous careers. You know, I, I mentioned a couple earlier both Cloris Leachman, Jeff Bridges, but we also have Ellen Burstyn in this film giving an Oscar-nominated performance. Ugh, Ellen know, Burstyn. Right? And we have some Woo! older players. Ben Johnson wins Can't. supporting actor. He does win uh, for this movie, and he's been around for decades in the film business. Yeah. Um, and he gives a great performance yeah. as the owner, basically kind of the owner of all the the businesses in this small town. He owns the pool hall, the the cafe, the the picture house as well. Um, and he's one of those, He's you know, he gets that great performance where even when he's off screen, you still feel his presence because the characters talk about him all the time. But this is just, right. it's, this is such a great movie. Oh, and Randy Quaid, isn't it? And, yes, uh, and, and a young Eileen Randy Brennan. Quaid. Eileen Brennan, thank you. Eileen yes. Brennan is fantastic. Oh, um, God, she's so good in it's everything. It's like, isn't she though? I mean, she's Mrs. Peacock. Let's not forget. Yes. In Clue, so um, yeah, this is truly a a great cast. It's mm-hmm. beautifully shot in black and white too. Mm-hmm. Um, it is ah uh, oh, man, and it's a movie that could only be made in 1971. I don't know how to put it any other way. You know. Yeah. Um, no, that's true. And we're about to get a great run. We're about to get a great run out of Peter Bogdanovich. Um, of like th- three or four really good movies all right in a row. So, um, yeah. Oh, also, I forgot I've also met Peter Doc- Bogdanovich. <laughs> oh, how is that? Movie. He was very nice. He loves movies so, so much. Um, you can tell. It was you for can tell. a TCM thing. I was actually in a room with, get this, Peter Bogdanovich, uh, John Landis. And um, Francis Ford Coppola at the same time. Holy shit. Yeah. So three, like, three, like, huge directors from this period. And wow. I was, <laughs> and I, like, stopped and, and it was through a TCM gig I was helping out with. I stopped and I, like, looked around and I was like, what is happening? Oh, and um, it was, it was something for Francis Ford Coppola. And so, um, oh my God! And Mel Brooks, totally. Jesus. And I know. And and I looked over, and you know, um, Talia Shire was there because the entire Coppola <laughs> family was there, and I was like, sure. "What is happening <laughs> to life right wow. now?" So that's probably the most high wattage. Besides the time I was backstage with Mel Brooks, Martin Scorsese, and Leonardo DiCaprio at the same time. I just feel like bragging today about some cool people I've been around. But anyway. That's amazing. Um, 
Yeah, I didn't talk to any of them, but I mean, I, I felt them near me, feet away. During a period, of, sure. we were not COVID safe. Let's just put it that way. That's how close I was to these people. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, All right. So here's last the final show. question for you, Rance. Yes. yes. Here's here's my here's my big question for you. Go. Why then did the French Connection win over the Last Picture Show or any of these other movies? I mean, this is a really kind of uh, an interesting group of five nominees. You know, you have the the standard Hollywood big budget musical Fiddler on the Roof. You have the smaller. Um, character-drawn independent film, The Last Picture Show. Um, you have a big biopic with Nicholas and Alexandra. Um, you have a controversial film, Clockwork Orange. And then you have that, you know, New York City street grit crime thriller that ends up winning. This is a really kind of, um, yeah, sort of an epic slew of nominees. So why do you think French Connection took home the award? Um... Uh, it's interesting. Um, you know, I, I was curious, and I'm looking now, uh, of the nominees, the one that made the most money was Fiddler on the Roof. I think it's probably the most box office friendly. That makes sense. But French Connection would be next in the nominee list. Um, and I think that, I think that kind of comes to the heart of it right there. I think that, um, I think that Fiddler on the Roof was, in addition to being, you know, popular with critics, was also popular with audiences, you know? So I think it was it was probably the one that lined Exposure. up. Yeah, so more people had seen it. Um, even though The Last Picture Show did very well, um, more people went to go see French Connection. So I think, you know, you come out with that perfect audience and critic... Um, uh, you know, lineup right there and you get yeah. yourself a winner. And, you know, for whatever reason, regardless of what our feelings might be, uh, the French connection has continued to be honored again and again and again on every type of best of list that you can imagine. Um, you know, it's continued to be thought yeah. of as one of the great movies ever made. So um, it makes sense. I don't know if it made the, yeah, it was, it's on both the 98 and the 2007 American Film Institute list of the top 100 movies. Um, it's It was number 70 in the first one. It was number 93 in the second one. It was number 8 on the thrills li- list. Interestingly, on the heroes and villains list, they had Popeye as a number number 44 hero. So I, yeah. I think that's really interesting. You know what? I saw that too. I don't agree with that at all. I saw all. that too. I, I don't understand. Me And either. I think... I don't think that would happen now. I don't think that would be how they rank things now. Um, but uh, I can't imagine that they would rank a brutal racist cop no. as any kind of hero nowadays. Which makes You're me right. wonder if maybe my interpretation of the film is is me putting 2020 on the movie. But um, but I think that's kind of important too. I mean, honestly, after hearing your analysis and breakdown, it brought a different perspective to it than I had come away from it with. So I agree with your assessment. I think you're spot on. I mean, I think it makes sense, um, too, because... With what you experienced. Yeah, I, I think knowing a little bit about the director, Friedkin, who, um, at least in life, is a pretty liberal dude, you know, makes me think that maybe that's how he would mm-hmm. have maybe intended it. 
you know, I do know that he also later right. makes a film, uh, Cruisin', which is a pretty problematic in the way that it depicts uh, gay people. Um, but um, I, I don't, I. I don't think that was his intention with the movie. It's just, you know, how things came out. Um, so I, I can see that maybe that was maybe what he was thinking while he was making this. Um, but that is at least how it played for me watching it. I I did not think the movie wanted me to think that Gene Hackman was a good guy. So I yeah. agree. I agree. Um, yes. Uh, but I mean, open for, I, uh, I would love to hear what other people thought about that. So um, but I, I think the True. the last picture show is um, the timelier story for me in retrospect, and um, I believe the last picture show is on um, the AFI list as well now. Um, it was not on it in 1998, but I think it was on it in 2007. Uh, it was number 95, so it's really I think if. French Connection's 93, this is 95, so they they see them as pretty close, I guess, too. But, um, uh, yeah, I'm I, I'm giving the edge to Last Picture Show. I mean, if Cloris Leachman alone. Honestly, yes. <laughs> that is exactly where I'm at, too. The Last Picture Show is my winner, too, for Cloris Leachman and Cloris Leachman only. Boom. Awesome. Okay, so what are we getting into? What are we doing next week? Next week, 1972. Rance, we have a big one. We do. We are going to talk about The Godfather, which is consistently one of the top two or three, if not the number one movie on people's best American films of all time Mm -hmm. lists. Um, Yeah, consistently ranked in the top five at least. Um, I've seen this before. I'm guessing you've seen this before. Uh, yeah, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but I'm going to be interested to talk to you about it and to get your thoughts and your feelings. Because um, this is going to be a big one. This is a big one. Yeah, we also have uh, we have a big runner-up this year, too. So I'm excited to talk about. Yes, which makes it even more interesting. So folks, join us again next week. We'll break down 1972 and The Godfather. Well, why don't you love me like you used to do? How come you treat me like a worn-out shoe? My hair's still curly and my eyes are still blue. Why don't you love me like you used to do?